Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, we decode, or at least try to, Elon Musk's and Grimes' baby name. Plus, is publicly calling out misogynistic trolls off limits when they're under the age of 18. And then, last of all, a conversation about foodie culture. Is it finally dead? But first, Zara, I have a new convo starter for you. This one's actually from the Facebook group, not from Google. What's something you should be able to do at your age, but you just can't? This is such a good one. And I could also give you like an endless list of answers because there is so much I should be able to do at this age and can't. I'm a really bad driver. I can barely ride a bike without crashing. In fact, I haven't ridden a bike in about three or four years and I would be petrified to do that now. I hate bikes. Bikes are the devil of transport. I just can't do it. It gives me anxiety. I don't agree with you, by the way. When you said you're a bad driver, you're not a bad driver. You're just like, I don't know, you sit behind the wheel and you just have this gung-ho zest that you want to get to where you're going. And you take not risks, but you do things that I would be too anxious to do. Yeah, it goes very much against my personality. I feel like that's actually an interesting convo starter of its own. People who are very timid usually or quite risk averse and somehow gung-ho drivers, I feel like that is me. Also my dad. My dad is very gentle and then he gets behind the car and I'm like, who are you? My dad's the opposite. I remember when I was a learner driver, he told me that if I was on the freeway and I could read the number plate of the car in front of me, I was too close. So I was driving like 100 metres behind every car on the freeway doing like 80 kilometres an hour because I think my dad was just terrified to be in the car with me. Yeah, that's probably fair. And just a quick disclaimer before we get any further, Mish, because I feel like I'll be inundated with DMs after this. I am a safe driver. Thank you so much. Just before people think that I'm a tyrant on the roads, I'm just not very good at it. I think I can say I'm not good at it. I also can't wink and I can't whistle either. That's just the top of the line. Give us a go. I want to hear you whistle. This will be so annoying for the listeners. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hang back from the mic a little bit so it's not right in the ears. Are you ready? 
Should I count you in? Wait, I'll count you in. Oh, I started. Three. I gave them a little taster. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Wow. Not great. That, well, I mean, it's not great, but I can't whistle either. Yeah, I was just about to say, what can't you do? Okay, I can't whistle. Here's my best whistle. Ready? Would love for people to rate whose whistle was better just then. I also can't put my bra on the right way. This was a really popular response in the Facebook group. You know how you're supposed to put the straps on and then do it behind your back, like do like a whole origami thing with your arms and somehow put the clasp together when you're not looking at it and your hands are backwards? I'm not doing that. I don't have the time for that. I don't have the coordination for that. So I do it up like literally under my boobs and then I swivel it around and then put the bra straps on like I'm 13 years old. That is a way less lazy way to do it in comparison to how I do it, which is just fling my bra on and only do up one of the clasps, like whichever one attaches onto each other and they could be diagonal, they could be across from each other, I don't care, and it just sits on What? I know, I've just realised it's not good. That is so fast and loose. Oh, maybe I am fast and loose. Maybe I've been fighting this the whole time. I was trying to think of anything that I have to recommend this week and I know, I know, I know I shouldn't, but... I want to re-recommend for the 100th time normal people. I know that there will also be people that say that it is overrated and I think that's what happens when something is so hyped. But all I want to say is I think this is the most beautifully put together TV series I have watched in years and that is all I'll say. The other recommendation I've got because I know you won't let that one through and you, to be honest, you probably won't let this one through either is I started re-eating barbecue shapes and this is not sponsored at all and I would recommend anyone go back to their favorite childhood snack because I don't think I've had barbecue shapes in years and I ate them and I thought, why Why did I go off these? Why did I stop eating you? As if you thought I wouldn't let that through, you know that if I love anything, I love a good barbecue shape. Barbecue shapes are the best variety of shapes by a country mile. If we're talking hierarchies, they're not even on the hierarchy. They're that high above it. They can't even see the other flavors. If we had a runner-up, what would your runner-up be? Mine would probably be chicken crimpy. Oh, you've lost me there. I think I would go cheddar. Yep, I think I'd go cheddar. Oh, wait, what are the savoury ones in the dark blue packet? They're pretty good too. Yeah, there's also quite a niche one in Vegemite and cheddar. That is a very good one. I don't even like Vegemite and I love those shapes. Yeah, I'm not on that bandwagon. Do you remember when we first worked in women's media together? And I actually, this was probably the last time I became really obsessed with barbecue shapes. And when I become really obsessed with something, I really, really overdo it. And I used to have like the little packets of barbecue shapes in my drawer and realized about six months into my job that everyone knew that I had like a packet a day and I got really embarrassed. So what I used to do is every afternoon, I used to open my drawer so quietly and open the packet so quietly and just keep it in the drawer so no one would see what I was eating and I'd have to eat them in secret. It was just private shame. That's all it was, private shame. It's so funny as well because you thought you were being so secretive. (laughs) Sophie Aubrey, she's now at the age, but we used to work all together at Mamma Mia. And she and I used to just hear this little rustle behind us (laughs) of of you opening the packet and then like a very slow crunch of you slowly (laughs) biting in. Which is more embarrassing. Like the private shame is more embarrassing than just being self-aware and open about it. Like own your love. Anyway, this is me owning my love. Do you have any recommendations this week? I do. I don't want this to sound sponsored either because it's another brand. Normally we're recommending read, watches or listens. I don't have one of those for you guys this week. I recommend that if you are tossing up between whether or not you should get a new mattress, like get an upgrade, my advice to you this week, dear beloved listeners, is get a new mattress because Mitch and I have been sleeping on the same mattress since we got together. He had it for about five years before that. So the mattress is almost a decade old. 
And may I tell you, there were springs loose. It was not a good time. When we took it off the bed on Thursday, we realized just how old and decrepit that mattress really was. We got a koala mattress. And I know I'm putting my hand up. I know they do a lot of advertising, particularly podcast advertising, Instagram advertising, all that stuff. This is not sponsored. We would never do a sponsored mention in a recommendation section. It lives up to the hype. Like, you know, all that hype of people saying it's a five star, great quality mattress and it's brilliant. 110%. I bloody love my mattress. When I slept on it for the first night on Thursday, I woke up feeling like a fresh little daisy ready to take on the day. Get a new mattress if you're considering it. I have to back this because when I moved house, I had to get a new mattress and I was never really fussed on mattresses. Like I was never fussed on mattresses clearly because I've never slept on a good one. And you and I have clearly both gone for the basic mattress choice because you went for Koala, which is like one of the most popular. I went for Sleeping Duck. So we're hardly going for niche brands here. But whatever it was, I was like, this is, I can never sleep on another bed. Like I read a stat when I was shopping. Oh my God, how did we get so hyped about mattresses? (laughs) I read a stat when I was shopping for mattresses and I can't even remember the stat now, but it was like, think about how many hours of your life you spend on this thing. And not many people put much thought into it. I certainly never did. Yeah. So exactly right, Zara. So for all the stuff (laughs) we talk about going to the gym and eating right and all self-care wellness stuff, which I love, like if you want to take care of your body, absolutely do it. Your health is such a priority. But for me, my sleep is such a priority. I'm a very anxious human being. And if I'm not sleeping very well, my anxiety and also my asthma just flare up out of nowhere. Sleep is so important. You spend hours of your day in your bed it needs to be a good bed that gives you a good sleep it is such a priority why the was I sleeping on a bad mattress for so long I have now seen the good mattress light I mean it's a big expense Mish but I have to back it if you want to save your pennies towards something I back your recommendation save your pennies for a mattress let's get into the show though we are obviously 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 starting with Grimes and Elon Musk's baby name two people who will never have to save for a mattress because they are billionaires. So if you miss this, Elon Musk and Grimes gave birth. I mean, that sounded like they both gave birth. They absolutely didn't. Grimes gave birth to their baby, their first baby as a couple. If you recognize those names, but you're not 100% across exactly who those two people are, let me give you the lowdown. Elon Musk is a 48-year-old tech entrepreneur. He's worth $38 billion. That is a ton of mattresses. He is the brains behind the brand Tesla. Fun fact for you, Zara, he's also the brains behind PayPal, but he called it X.com and then it was renamed to PayPal after he sold it. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Good fact, he, Michelle. You're becoming a tech a tech facty, a facty techie. I am. I mean, sure, that's exactly what I am. Elon has been married a few times, twice to English actress Tallulah Riley. He has five children, one set of twins, one set of triplets with his first wife, Justine Wilson. Grimes, you probably recognize that name because she's a 32-year-old Canadian singer and musician who is renowned for being, for lack of a better term, extraordinarily quirky. She renamed herself the letter C in 2018. So that's how she is referred to in her personal life, just as C. And yes, she met Musk via Twitter in the same year. And what a love story. Here we are. And we have a brand new baby with the most batch crazy name I've ever heard. So I love that you did an entire segment on little bits of context, but actually threw the baby name to me. The baby name is X-Ash-A-12, I think. 
I think. I tell you what, the worst part about this is when this name was announced, I saw it and I thought, I'm going to sleep on that before I put it in the Facebook group or even text you because I was like, surely that is not real. Surely we're being punked a little bit. I'll wake up in the morning and see if it's still a thing. It is still a thing. It was kind of like when, do you remember when Brendan Favola, slight tangent, had a baby and called his own radio station and said that his the baby's name was Brenda? And I fell for that it. That was so awesome. I, I told everyone that Brendan Favola had named his kid Brenda and looked like an idiot for not waiting a few hours to uncover the prank. So I waited for this one. It is not a prank. Interestingly, Michelle, California's Office of Vital Records only accepts names that contain 26 alphabetical letters. So it could mean that the name is invalid. And what actually happens when you've named your child something invalid? Like, is this just the nickname now? Yeah, well, that's the thing, Zara. When you read it out, X Ash A12, that sounds far more straightforward than how it actually looks. So the middle character, and I'm not going to give it any other name than a middle character, is apparently Elven or Elvish, as in Elf language from what I could glean in that it's like an A and an E merging. And everyone kind of disagrees on exactly how that's pronounced. Apparently, Grimes and Elon Musk are choosing to pronounce it as the word ash. I don't know. I'm extraordinarily confused about this. I'm not even sure if they know what their baby name is because when Grimes came out and gave her explanation of the baby name, she then got mansplained to by her baby daddy. Yeah, that was the best part of all of it. So everyone was naturally a tinsy tiny bit confused about what this name was. And Grimes came out and said, don't worry, guys, this is what the baby name means. X stands for the unknown variable. Meanwhile, the the little AE concoction, which is, you know, apparently, you're right, the elven spelling of AI, which is shorthand for artificial intelligence and translate to love in several languages, such as Japanese. <laughs> Does anything I'm saying make sense? Also, then, then she said... A-12 is the precursor to SR-17, our favourite aircraft. No weapons, no defences, just speed. Great in battle but non-violent. I actually feel more confused after reading that. Anyway, Elon Musk came back to her and said, SR-71, but yes. And she said, I'm recovering. This is all in a public domain on Twitter. I am recovering from surgery and barely alive, so may my typos be forgiven, but damn it, that was meant to be profound. (sighs) I I, want to ask you a question. Is it mean for us to laugh at a baby's name when that baby has no control over the fact it's named after an unknown variable, some elven language, (laughs) and an aircraft? Like what's meaner, for you and I to get on a podcast and laugh about how ludicrous that is or for two human beings to call their poor, unsuspecting baby that? Okay. Well, I have two answers for you. There's an answer that I'll give you on the podcast because it's a public forum and I will say, of course, it's terrible. We shouldn't laugh at a baby's name. There's the answer I'd give you in private, which is let me live. Let me live a little bit. And also they called the baby this. We're just commenting on it. Another one of my favorite parts of this story, Mish, is Elon Musk's other children's names. He currently has five children, Damien, Griffin, Xavier, Saxon, and Kai. Imagine being Damien. Would you feel a bit rich? <laughs> Damien is the most like accountant name ever. No hate to any Damien's listening. Like perfectly fine name. Would definitely prefer to be called Damien than X Ash A12. But the movement there, I mean, it's definitely proof of how humans can metamorphosize into butterflies and change multiple times across their lifetime. 
it's hard to believe that a man who called one of his sons Damien is now calling his ungendered baby, which is another interesting fact about this story, Zara. They are raising this child as genderless and the child will be able to choose whatever gender it wants to then move to X Ash. 812. Like, what a transition. I would call it personal growth. I'm not sure if that name choice exhibits much of that, though. Well, I guess, it, if anything, it shows a, a growth in taste, if nothing else. This week's hotline message is from listener Jessie. She actually put this in our Facebook group, and we thought it was so thought provoking and interesting that we asked her to read it aloud for this podcast episode. We hope you take something away from it because we certainly did. Hi, Zara and Michelle. Uh, The conversation about internalized misogyny spoke to me and particularly in the context of women's success. I believe we attach a glass ceiling to women's success in a way we do not do so for men. We're always so excited to see women thriving and especially when we can view them as an every woman. Initially, we can be happy for their success as they are striving to reflect an experience we can relate to. But we are very quick to become critical of a woman for becoming too successful and ultimately they change. It is here where our dislike without reason emerges as their success is no longer seen as modest and also the point where the comparison between them and ourselves is at its highest and we begin to attach our insecurities onto these women through criticism. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle Elizabeth, fine-footed, Benji fending, mattress-loving. <laughs> Andrews, what have you got for me? Well, before I say anything, may I just say, anyone who is taking care of a puppy while needing to work at an office away from home, I tip my hat to you, my friends, because I'm currently raising a very excitable, very energetic puppy and I'm home all the time and I'm struggling. So tip of the hat to anyone who has to do that when things are normal and not in the midst of a pandemic. Here's my quick and dirty story for you, Zara. Number one, author Emily Giffen apologized after calling Meghan Markle unmaternal and phony. That is from In Style. What the hell happened here? What a ride this story was. Really, really bizarre. So for those who don't know who Emily Giffen is, she is a best-selling author. I hate to say it like this, but her first line of her Wikipedia page is that she's a best-selling, quote-unquote, chiclet author. She wrote Something Borrowed, which was turned into a movie with Kate Hudson. And she's a pretty loud supporter of the royal family. But what was so weird is some of you might have seen Meghan Markle for Archie's first birthday, posted a video for Save the Children reading Archie a little story filmed by Prince Harry and they posted it on Instagram. And Emily Giffen uploaded a screen grab of a message exchange between her and a friend where they called Megan after watching this video a joke, said that they feel sorry for that little boy, said she seemed so unmaternal, fake and forced, phony, and an actress playing a part poorly. It was one of the nastiest exchanges I've seen. Yeah, I think what really blew me away about this story was if someone gets to the point where they feel like this kind of material is appropriate to share publicly, what the hell are they saying behind closed doors in other group chats? If you get to the point where you are so hateful towards someone like Meghan Markle, who you've never met and you really don't know at all, What the hell are you saying in your private life and thinking about her that you're not sharing on the screen? To get to the point where Emily Giffen thought that this was funny and relatable to call her all those things and to say that in a video where she's reading a story to her son that she's a phony and an actress playing a part, 
just astounded me. I think this was a really great example, and by great I mean terrible, example of internalized misogyny. We spoke about it last week and I'm really happy so many people enjoyed that segment because we really enjoyed bringing it to you. And I think if you ever are going to see internalized misogyny play out in real time, Emily Giffen's Instagram stories about Meghan Markle epitomized it. Yeah, I have to agree with you. It's like she's so hateful and it's really hard to grasp why. Like it's almost impossible to grasp why she's so hateful about it. What, like I said at the start, what's really curious here is Emily Giffen is a huge supporter of the Royals. Her Instagram profile at the moment is on private. So if you go and try to stalk her or look up her profile, you won't be able to see much beyond just a link in her bio. And the link that she's popped in her bio at the moment, as she knows people are going to her profile, is best-selling author Emily Giffen on why she unabashedly loves the Royals and always will. So it's an article about how much she loves the Royals. And she has said in the past that she was so excited when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got married, that she loved Meghan Markle when she was within the confines of the royal family and that system. Her issue has been since she left. And like you said, it is such a prime example of internalized misogyny because the minute someone decides to stand up and say something and speak for themselves, she suddenly doesn't like it. She only liked Meghan Markle when Meghan Markle was quiet and sort of like a product of the system, the the monarchy. Yeah, and what really stuck out to me here was the commentary can't be pinned down to anything. So she seemed so unmaternal, faked and forced. It's not really tangible. It's something you can throw out without having any concrete evidence of that. Like, what do you mean she seems unmaternal? It's also such a dagger to give that to a new mother. You seem unmaternal, like you're not good at being the one thing that women are supposedly designed to be good at. I just think it was so snarky and gross. And I'm really happy that Emily Giffen was called out for this because I don't think it's behavior that anyone should endorse, no matter how famous someone is. Yeah, I agree. And it has been almost universally slammed. So I think that's the best thing that's come out of this story. But like I said, I actually can't shake how horrified I was that someone would speak like this. My second story, Zara, Adele's new birthday photo thanking frontline workers sparks debate on body image. That's from CBS News. Now, a lot of listeners were probably expecting us to do a major segment on this today. I mean, it is one of the top celebrity news stories of the week, but we don't want to dedicate 10, 15 minutes to discussing this. Do you want to explain a bit why? Yeah, and to be honest, in normal circumstances, I wouldn't have even put it in the quick and dirty, but I figured we're going to get so many questions about why we're not raising this that it's almost better to nail it now. For me, it's pretty simple. I don't want to discuss a woman's body on this podcast. I don't think it says anything about us. I don't think there's any meaning to glean from at the moment. And until Adele comments herself, I don't feel comfortable about it. The writer Taffy Bredessa Ackner tweeted something that kind of nailed it far better than I'll be able to articulate on the podcast right now. She tweeted, a reminder that Adele's weight loss means nothing about you, about the culture, about anything, this coming from a celebrity profiler, mind you, and that thinking it contains any significance at all is another way we seek to control women's bodies. I found that really interesting. One aspect of this, I mean, you and I mostly agree. I think the only aspect of this that I do find interesting is that the media has such an intense fascination with Adele's body and they continually churn out articles with like before and after images on them. And I think that's detrimental to their readers. So I I find the analysis of the media's reaction to her weight loss to be fascinating. But I agree with you. I think the more we talk about it, the more we perpetuate the idea that her body is the most interesting thing about her. And this is a woman who has sold more than 120 million records. She is one of the world's best-selling music artists. She holds the equal record for the most Grammy Awards for an album. She won six for her album 21 in 2012. She was in her early 20s. She was younger than us when she did that. She's the first woman in the history of the Billboard Hot 100 to have three 
simultaneous top 10 singles as a lead artist. This is a woman who is pioneering music. She is such a game changer. And I think it's sad that so many people are discussing something that is not crucial to her success and has never been crucial to her success. Whatever she does with her body is her business. And I don't like it being the center of so many conversations. Yeah. And the minute she wants to comment on that or be part of the conversation, then maybe we will too. But until then, I think I just want to focus on those achievements and not much else. My third story, the best celebrity couple just broke up. That is from The Cut. And they're not wrong. The best celebrity couple did just break up, Ashley Benson and Cara Delevingne. I love these two. I mean, I don't feel like they're the best. Love, past tense. (laughs) I don't feel like they're the best celebrity couple, though. Like, come on. Best celebrity couple, if I had to choose, I probably would be the basic bitch and pick Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. Oh, that's a good one. What about, actually, I don't mind me a Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds, if I'm honest now. It's because they're so witty online. They're truly so witty. Like they're good. Actually, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend would probably get my silver medal for best celebrity couple. I'm pretty sure you and I have done an entire segment on why we shouldn't idolize celebrity couples. And yet here we are. If you guys are listening to this being like, please tell me more about Cara Delevingne and Ashley Benson, of course. Cara is a model. If you're not familiar, she's 27. Ashley is an actress who is 30. They split after a couple of years of dating. The reason given was quite banal in that apparently the relationship and the romance had just run its course. Yeah, well, they were a much more notoriously private couple than any of the ones that we've mentioned in that list, Mish. They kind of didn't really confirm their relationship until they'd been dating for a year and they didn't share much. Ashley Benson is really famously private about her private life and always has been. So not much made it to the public consciousness. The breakup was leaked to people which probably came from one of their camps, to be totally honest with you, meaning that they just didn't want to have to announce it themselves because they've been so private this entire time. It kind of didn't really fit the narrative. Yeah, I think people have been so invested and felt so invested in this relationship when Cara Delevingne gave those really searing quotes to LUK. They had kept their relationship quiet for so long and then about a year into it, she said, it just feels incredible when you're not alone, when you're facing the world with someone else. I don't want to be so secretive that people think I'm ashamed of anything, but I've never been in a relationship where things are so public or I posted photos of someone else. This seems different. We'd gotten to the point where we had to keep it a secret or at least not wanted attention. And now I feel like I'm not going to be proud. I just, I find it that the secrecy and then coming out, it made everyone really buy in. And it's just sad to hear that two people that are so loved and adored have parted ways, but I'm guessing it's for the best. I'm guessing it is too. My fourth story, Seven Axes, Pete Evans from $800,000, My Kitchen Rules Roll. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. And dear God, we say it every week, but $800,000 for a single year of hosting that program. That is so much money. It's a lot of mattresses once again. An interesting news item, as you say, that came out on Friday. I saw a bit of commentary in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, from some people who said, I wish he wasn't axed just because of ratings. I wish he was axed before that. And I kind of thought that was an interesting line of thought, but I imagine it would have been pretty hard for Channel 7 to axe Pete Evans for anything other than poor ratings. I'm not sure it would have gone down particularly well for axing him for, I don't know, moral reasons or ideology reasons or anything like that. Like God knows what's in that contract and the only reasons that they can let him go. But you could argue also that he was bringing the show into disrepute because there were so many negative headlines surrounding him. It wasn't going to translate into the success of My Kitchen Rules, was it? Absolutely not. I find that interesting, actually, whether or not Channel 7 could have sacked him or let him go on account of 
of his personal beliefs. It would be quite murky and muddy, I think, to wade through that. I'm not surprised. I mean, My Kitchen Rules did so poorly the last season. They really just did not compete with Married at First Sight at all. I'm interested. Do they Are they getting rid of the show? I'm struggling to understand exactly what's happening now with My Kitchen Rules, whether they're going to try to emulate what MasterChef has done over on Channel 10 and rejig the hosting lineup or if they're going to rest the program for a bit because I truly do believe it needs a rest. It's had 11 seasons now and it is such a lethargic format. Well, I think at the time of recording it's kind of unclear, but I wouldn't be surprised if they needed to take a break from filming anyway just because of COVID. So it may be a forced break for the show anyway. But, yeah, I think that seeing the success of MasterChef and what that kind of – new lineup has done for the show would be quite inspiring for a a fellow cooking show. My fifth and final story for today's Quick and Dirty with Midnight Sun, Twilight is back at the best possible time. That is from The Guardian. I will say this before you jump in, Zara. I am so excited. I really regret how I used to speak about Twilight. Given I have read every single Twilight book, watched every single Twilight movie, I don't know why I ever jumped on the bandwagon that Twilight is shit. I think that was very much of the ilk that anything that young women like must be frivolous and dumb. And I really regret that because I bloody love Twilight. If I'm listening to my heart, my heart tells me I love Stephanie Meyer. I love her books. I love her characters. And I will absolutely be reading Midnight Sun. I feel so left out of this. I was never a Twilight kid. I never read any of the books. I think I watched one of the movies. Like I was just so out of it. And you know when you feel like you missed something? Oh, I feel like I missed this completely. So when this was announced this week, I saw all of these people around me get so excited and I was so sad I wasn't on the bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, I'm sad for you, to be honest. I feel like <laughs> Shameless would be the perfect name for a podcast about loving Twilight because there is there was so much shame about it. Like mm. when we were teenage kids, it was almost like this secret shame that you weren't allowed to obsessively love Twilight in the same way that people love Harry Potter. And I know they're not one and the same. I would say the writing in Harry Potter by J.K. Rowling is superior to the writing in Twilight, but that does not make Twilight a really riveting story. You can't sell millions upon millions of copies without curating and crafting a scintillating storyline. And I just find it very interesting that even now there's opinion pieces by women coming out saying, this is the last thing we need, like, oh, my God, not another Twilight. Twilight is coming back because so many women, and I'm sure men, loved it. Yeah, well, it's very interesting how denigrated it was, and I have to agree with you. There was so much shame for young teenage girls reading this. I think the tone that we used to take with Twilight was that it was kind of juvenile, like beneath young women, that it was too young, weirdly. I wonder if that played into why I never picked up a book. Like I never found myself denigrating it, but I never found myself interested in it. And I wonder if that's because there wasn't a culture of support around the books and the movies too until, you know, old mate Edward Cullen came in. Wait, is that the actor's name or the... (laughs) No, no, no. Oh, my God. Zara, Robert Patterson, your favourite clown lying circus dude, is the actor. The character's Edward Cullen. Now, I'll give you a brief overview. Edward Cullen glitters like he has shiny skin when he goes in the sun. He's a vampire. You know that, surely. Oh, I knew he was a vampire. You posted a meme on our Instagram page about Edward Cullen this week that I couldn't have understood less. It was like French to me. I had no idea what was going on, but it seemed to do well, so well done. 
It did very well. All my Twilight fans out there, I'm with you in solidarity. Zara, I am bending the rules today. I've added a sixth story to this quick and dirty that we agreed upon because we think it's important. It probably doesn't neatly fit into the pop culture quick and dirty space of what we normally cover, but we wanted to cover this one in particular. The headline is LeBron James and other celebrities rally for justice in Armored Arbery's killing. That is from Variety.com. We wanted to discuss this, Zara, because it's been hugely enlightening how much people of colour, particularly celebrities of colour, have rallied around this story, which we're going to touch on in a second, and and how many celebrities have mobilised this being taken seriously. Are you across the news story itself? Yeah, I am. It is an interesting one because I feel like it is a big story, but not kind of crossing the kind of mainstream publications you would hope. For those who missed the story, um, it's a pretty horrendous one, to be totally honest with you. And as Mish did say, it doesn't fit as neatly into the pop culture sphere that we usually talk about, but we thought it was worth having a conversation about anyway. So a 25-year-old jogger by the name of Armwood Arbery was running and was shot by an ex-police officer and his son in February. He was black, Arbery, and the two men who have been identified as Gregory and Travis McMichael are white. In the two months since he was shot, Mish, nothing happened. There were no arrests. There was no really serious investigation. And the reason that this has popped up in the last couple of days is because a video emerged of the shooting, which is a horrendous, horrific viewing, but what it's done has renewed interest and awareness in the case because people can see how senseless this killing is and how absolutely wild and disgusting it is that nothing has been done about it. And just to paint a picture of how wild that video is, it has sparked a response from both Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump. The White House has had to weigh into this. This is how clearly racially motivated this murder was. One conversation that I really found interesting in the Facebook group over the weekend about this story was highlighting the fact that while so many celebrities mobilized and brought this case to the public consciousness of those celebrities, the vast majority were other people of colour. And I thought a few listeners were so influential and thought-provoking in their commentary in our Facebook group about how the Black Lives Matter movement cannot continue to just be a conversation amongst people of colour. This has to be something that white people talk about more. A man was senselessly murdered while he was going for a run. There was no reason for it. There was no real clear motivation for it other than the colour of his skin. And to not see more white celebrities talk about that and point to that and be angry about that must be incredibly frustrating. I I can't even begin to imagine how upsetting that must be when you see a senseless murder like this. You see that two months have passed where nothing happened and yet so many celebrities are so quiet about it. In the similar way that feminism can't only be a conversation between women, Black Lives Matter can not only continue to be a conversation among people of colour. Something I did want to touch on, Zara, is how LeBron James continues to lead these conversations again and again and has done so since 2014. He tweeted out, we're literally hunted every day, every time we step foot outside the comfort of our own homes. Can't even go for a damn jog. Like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm sorry, Armod. Rest in paradise. My prayers and blessings are sent to you. 
Yeah, well, just a list here as well of the celebrities that are really carrying this conversation. We've got Zoe Kravis, Tracy Ellis Ross, Viola Davis, Elaine Welteroth, Naomi Campbell, Gabrielle Union, Scissor, and Kim Kardashian West is actually doing a bit of work on this too, given, you know, the work she does in justice reform. But as you can see from that list, it is a conversation being carried by people of colour. And I think it's probably time that, as you say, that it extends well, well, well beyond those circles. There is a GoFundMe that is being run for Armand Arbery's family. So if you want to contribute and get behind this cause and do something about it. Of course, justice can't be brought about. A young man has lost his life. But if you want to do something for his family, we'll pop the link to that GoFundMe in our show notes. Zara, that is all for today's Quick and Dirty. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, is it okay to publicly call out online abuse when the perpetrator is a teenage boy? And the theory that the pandemic is spelling the end of foodie culture. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Just a quick note before we jump into this one, it does discuss issues surrounding suicide and may be triggering for some listeners. If you or anyone you know needs help, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This week, Clementine Ford posted something to her 88,000 Instagram followers that made some celebrate and others feel concerned. After receiving an abusive private message that called her an insecure bitch and told her to shut the f*** up and, I quote, put a gun in your mouth, the best-selling author of Boys Will Be Boys and Fight Like a Girl decided to do something about it. She took a screenshot of the private message and the sender's profile and uploaded both to her feed. But here's where things got a little sticky. The sender of that vitriolic, abusive message to Clementine Ford was a teenager, one who's still in high school. And while some people cheered Ford on, saying it's time to show trolls the consequences of their actions, regardless of their age, some said publicly sharing the private name of a teenager is wrong no matter what the circumstances. Zara, what was your initial gut reaction to this post? My gut reaction was a gut reaction to the message first and foremost and reading that message kind of felt like a sucker punch, like it's such a horrific thing to read that someone has been sent. And so I didn't actually find myself particularly outraged that she shared the name and the face of the person who sent it. Like I couldn't quite glean in that moment how old the kid was. I could see that he was kind of young, but it was such a disgusting message. I found myself so angry that I didn't care and I felt like that's at odds with how I normally consider public shaming. What did you think initially? I thought the same. I think the way I felt in the moment has continued in the days and almost a week since. In the in the moment, I thought, good on you, Clementine. And I think we need to disclose as well that we have met Clementine Ford before. She has, of course, been on an In Conversation episode with us. So we do have a personal connection to her there. And perhaps that is a bias that needs to be disclaimed as well. But I remain certain that I would probably do the same thing. Like I am so sick of young people, particularly young boys, getting away with mistreating women online. And I think the way she handled it was exactly how it should be handled in that if you're old enough to be online, you're old enough to experience the consequence of being online. I do think it's important to note as well that after Clementine had a conversation with the teenage boy's mother where the mother asked her to remove the photo, she did do that. So the post that is currently on her Instagram account is a screenshot of the message, but it doesn't have his private information. And I think that was also a good move that mother to mother, they had that conversation and took the photo down. Yeah. And then she wanted to make the conversation 
conversation about something far broader. She had a really interesting uh, line in her post when she re-uploaded the message without the photo of the boy's face. And she said, to the people arguing this should have been dealt with privately, firstly, no, women are always expected to deal with these things privately to prevent men experiencing any consequences. There's a convenient excuse of his age, not 12 as some are stating, but in high school. But this same defense is made for adult men. The goalposts are always shifting to protect them. And I've thought a lot this week since this story broke and people really started talking about it, that I have been quite rigid in my attitude towards public shaming in the past. And I kind of have spent the last few days unpacking why. Why don't I want to call out bad behavior sometimes with a name? Like, yes, there's always an argument about sending a herd of people after one person and that this pendulum sometimes can swing too far. And I do stand by some decisions we've made not to name people. But But there's also an element from my side, I think, of not wanting to rock the boat that much. I I really do feel that sometimes I'd be too scared to name someone for doing something terrible because I don't want to rock the boat that much. And I've, I've spent a few days wondering who the hell that helps not wanting to rock the boat. Yeah, well, this is the thing. To anyone who listens to this, and I'm sure there will be so many listening to this saying, you cannot convince me there is no reason to publicly shame a teenage boy because he's under the age of 18. I absolutely understand your point of view. And I think I would almost agree with you in every circumstance. And in the ideal world, this would never happen. In the ideal world, nobody would need to share the faces and names of their abusers, particularly when those abusers are teenagers. In an ideal world, nobody would need to make this public. We could deal with this on a school level and a police level. But in an ideal world, at the crux of it, nobody would be receiving death threats from men and boys who are threatened by them. The reality is that's not the world we live in. Like there have been so many instances that show women aren't being taken care of and women's concerns about trolling and bullying online are not being taken seriously by education systems, by the government, by police. And I think the fact that Clementine Ford receives this day in, day out, and she wants to do something about it is so thoroughly unsurprising to me. Zara, one facet of this that I found really interesting is that for all the conversations about Clementine Ford sharing this boy's name and sharing his photo when he is in high school, is that this week after this happened, it was do it for Dolly Day in Australia. Now, if you're not from Australia, if you're not familiar with the day, this day is to mark the suicide of 14-year-old Australian girl Dolly Everett. She suicided in January 2018 and that death rocked our entire country. I don't think I'm overstating that there. Do it for Dolly Day is all about spreading awareness of bullying in high schools and its effect on young people. The reason that is is because Dolly was a victim of misogynistic trolling just like what Clementine Ford shone a light on last week. She was 14 when she suicided, which seems to be a very similar age to the boy who was messaging Clementine Ford. If you go and read the quotes from Dolly's parents about what she was experiencing in the months and days leading up to her suicide, she was being slut-shamed. She was receiving misogynistic messages from the boys in her year level. She was the exact silent and powerless victim that Clementine Ford was talking about and trying to help and protect when she shared this information with her followers. That has been a really stark reminder to me that Dolly's Day was on Friday just a couple of days after this story really went quite mainstream because I think this is why sometimes I get a little bit exasperated with campaigns about bullying, not the campaigns themselves, but the support that the campaigns get because it feels like to me we often only care about this stuff after the fact. It feels like we care when we can see the damage has been done, not as the damage is being done, 
We all want to get behind Dolly's message to treat each other better and kinder and to also stand up for ourselves. But when we're actually faced with a situation where it's happening in plain sight, we really struggle. Do you remember, I feel like you will remember because it was such a well-known video, that the project did a campaign in light of this a couple of years ago, which was speak even if your voice shakes. And they got heaps of well-known celebrities to say to young people, speak even if your voice shakes. If this is happening to you, speak even if your voice shakes. And that is literally exactly what Clementine Ford did. She spoke up and pushed back and it is not treated with the same reverence. Suddenly it becomes really dangerous that she's done that or unclassy that she's done that, that she has decided to speak even if her voice is shaking and we don't celebrate it anymore. Absolutely. And I don't care what the age of the sender is. The message is the same. The effect on Clementine Ford would be the exact same. And I think when it comes to Dolly, what that case exemplifies so well or so heartbreakingly even, is that the school did nothing. This is a quote from her mother that she gave to News Corp a year ago. She told me that boys were calling her a slut. She was 12. I don't know whether 12-year-olds even know what that means. They shouldn't. I used to tell her it will get better. You'll fit in. Everyone's trying to fit in and they're just working out their pecking order. Try not to be mean. She went on to say it was basically just swept under the cover when she made a complaint about this to the high school. Things got worse when Dolly was then asked to send nude photos of herself. They were circulating. She was being called a dirty slut, a bitch. She was being screamed at to go home and kill herself. And I I know that's really hard to listen to. Of course, that's incredibly upsetting to listen to. But the parallels here are so interesting to me. Dolly was a girl who had no platform to speak out about this. Girls like Dolly are receiving messages like this every single day. If we're allowing kids to be online and we're accepting that these messages are going to be circulating and we know that schools and police do nothing about it, we are also accepting that suicides and deaths like this will continue to happen. Something has to change. We can't live in this Pollyanna society where we all think it's just going to go away or that men will magically become better once they turn 18. Misogyny and hatred are festering on the internet well before people reach adulthood. And I wonder what can we do about that? I know it's not easy. I know it's uncomfortable for all of us, but we can't just wait for people to get to the age of 18 because as we've seen with Dolly, the damage can be so significant and it can be done well before kids reach 18. Clementine Ford went on the briefing last week, Mish, the podcast that you actually recommended last week as well. And she said, why are we so concerned about the futures and the mental health of the men who are doing these things and not the women who are suffering at the hands of it, which I think ties in so wonderfully to what you were just saying. I have to say, I'm not usually one to denigrate quote unquote, the system generally, because I find that those kind of arguments often lack a bit of nuance when we just sort of hate the justice system or hate the police system. And I think maybe it's because my sister is a criminal lawyer and so I see the justice system and those kinds of things more through her eyes and can kind of glean why it functions as it does. But I have to say I've really also seen many systems, the educational system and the police system and the justice system, let people down that I really care about. I've had some people close to me go through some some pretty horrendous and pretty horrific things with vile men who can't even get a restraining order despite having pages and pages and pages of consistent, terrible behaviour. And I think if the structural systems in place that are meant to protect us won't, then the very least we can do is encourage dialogue where women do speak. And when they do push back, we encourage that. Like if we actually can't dismantle the structures around us that aren't protecting us, then the one thing we can do is celebrate someone who tries to speak up. 
Yeah, I think the reason I feel so personally about this as well, clearly we both have vested stakes in this story. I feel personally about this because when I was 18, I was mercilessly trolled by a group called Face Beef. I'm sure some of you might be familiar with that name. It was basically a troll group on Facebook. I wrote a comment on a blog post about anorexia and I was experiencing some disordered eating habits at the time and I was basically talking about women and body image and unfair expectations on how women look, which it's no surprise, Zara, that I'm now on a podcast, what, seven years later, basically doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I wrote this on the internet and people from Facebook picked it up and they didn't like any conversations about women taking place on Facebook. So they retaliated by taking my profile photo from my Facebook page, sharing that with more than 20,000 people and asking all these men to rate me out of 10. I, for the next week, received awful rape threats. I received messages telling me that I should be eating out of the dog bowl behind me in the photo. I received a threat that a man was going to come to my university because my university was in my Facebook bio at the time. I was so traumatized. And this was when I was 18. And I still like talking about it now feel sick about some of the things I received in that time. I called the police. I tried to do everything I could. I called them multiple times and their only advice to me was to delete my Facebook page. We constantly put the onus on women to deal with stuff like this and it is very fucking difficult to deal with when you don't have a platform and you're perhaps not at the maturity level like Clementine Ford is to process it and deal with it. We need to protect more women. Those face beef guys really, really traumatized me. And I'm sure every single day young girls are being traumatized by boys on the internet. I flatly reject that we shouldn't talk about it. What Clementine Ford did was she noticed that a boy was too comfortable with saying nasty things behind the door of the internet and the door of private messages All she did was open the door. She opened the door to show something that he was too comfortable doing behind it. And I don't think there's a problem with that. I think we should be opening the doors to these kinds of men and these kind of trolls more often, not just to protect little girls, to protect little boys as well. We know the male suicide rate in high school is so high. We know that cyberbullying increases suicidal ideation by 11.5 times in young people. We need to be doing it for young boys and young girls, and we need to be doing it now. Well, this is the thing about Clementine Ford is she's saying, I'm okay. Like, yes, it's a pretty horrendous thing to receive and she gets it all day, every day. And and to be totally honest with you, sometimes I, I wonder how she handles receiving the weight and the tsunami of things that she does. But she said, if if I have the power to push back, young girls don't. And it is for young people like you were at 18 that is the reason she's doing it now, Mish. It's, it's those people that she wants to protect and kind of empower to be able to speak up. I also think it's worth considering in this context the Me Too movement. So many people, when the Me Too movement broke out and news publication after news publication were publishing articles quoting scores of young women saying they were abused by men in power, so many people said, why can't these women go to the police? Why can't they just use the system that's created for them in order to protect them? But the point is so many of them did and so many of them do. It just didn't work. The assumption that going public is a woman's first port of call needs to be shattered. It is rarely a woman's first point of call. It's their port of call when all hope is lost. And I think Clementine had this like very beautiful quote when she went onto her Instagram stories after she posted this photo and fought back. And she said, women and girls are not the secret keepers of men's behavior. And that hit really hard. And I know it hit our friends quite hard because we were talking about it in a group chat because it's true. I feel like every woman listening to this has been the secret keeper of men's behavior in the past. And it's time for that to stop. Three, 
foodie culture officially dead. That's the argument The Atlantic's Hannah Georges levelled this week in an article titled Foodie Culture As We Know It Is Over. In the piece, Georges argued that cooking looks a little different in a pandemic. There's less snobbery about food and cooking at home is far more about using the ingredients we have rather than seeking out something a little sexier. Mish, do you agree? Do you find that the foodie landscape is changing kind of dramatically as the pandemic goes on? I feel like my answer is going to be a little bit frustrating because I put this in Google. I wrote, is foodie culture dead? And I got results from like the last four years when all these different food writers have come up with when it supposedly died. Can I interrupt you for one second? Dare you to expose how terrible our research tactics are, so much so that all you do to research for a segment like this is put, is foodie culture dead and get Google to give you the answer? I may as well just be looking on Wikipedia. Hey, well, Mashable <laughs> Mashable said the word foodie was dead in 2015. So according to Mashable, we're five years behind the eight ball. Adelaide Review, Food Review, also said in Feb 2019 that foodie culture had died. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's a matter of foodie culture dying, if it is a matter of home cooking having a major resurgence. And I think that's because we're all at home. We are all not going to restaurants, so we need to find some way to recreate and emulate that feeling of great creative food from our own kitchens. I have to agree with you. I also Googled, is pretty much a death? (laughs) And I saw... You traitor. You hung me out to dry. (laughs) Yeah, but I was only going to come on and agree with you after. You're so right. There's been article after article for years and years saying pretty culture's dead. It's like, is anything dead? Is Instagram culture dead? Is influencers dead? You could find results from that for years. I think you're right. I say yes. Is shameless dead? It's not dead at all. We're thriving. (laughs) Maybe Um, I'll write a a troll blog post about it. Oh my gosh. But I think you're absolutely right. It's the rise of home cooking. And I think because restaurants have had to close, which I think we should acknowledge here has not been good for the hospitality industry. Like this is, we're not saying this is a good thing for the hospitality industry. The hospitality industry, particularly in Australia, is struggling hugely right now. But there is something to be said about how food is no longer elitist because everybody's in this kind of survival mode. There was a really interesting line in the Atlantic story where Georgia wrote, food media during the pandemic have sometimes surreally seemed to abandon elitism in favour of, of a less ostentatious approach to cooking. And I thought that was so bang on. Every cooking page I'm following at the moment is not being snobby or elitist about it. It is so inclusive. I love that. I want to give an example, actually. We have a shameless example. One of our friends and colleagues, Jess Nguyen, we met her when she worked at Mecca. She is now a food blogger and she began doing that while in isolation. And the way her profile has exploded, like I'm sure lots of shameless listeners are familiar with Jess. She writes us up a recipe for shameless listeners to try every single week in our newsletter and her recipes are amazing. She has exploded. Like in the last few weeks, she's gone from having 4,000 followers to 22,000 followers followers. And that's because she's hitting the nail on the head with what people want to cook at home. By the way, go check her out on Instagram if you haven't yet, because it's incredible. But if you had told me at the beginning of 2020 that I would be making dumplings multiple times throughout the year, I would have called you an idiot. Like I would have thought there was no way I could make really good dumplings that would impress my boyfriend. I would have thought that was completely ridiculous that I wouldn't be able to do that. But Following Jess Nguyen and getting on board this home-cooked food train has meant that I have found this love of cooking that I really never knew existed. And I bloody love making dumplings now. Like I'll probably make them after we finish recording again. I love those dumplings so much. But I do think there's something so accessible about home cooking at the moment. And I think 
In the past, so many of our conversations, or most notably our public conversations about food, are often shrouded in shame, I think. It's got a lot to do with class. It's got a lot to do with money, the kinds of food you can afford to buy and to cook. And I think we can be really snobby about food. And there's something so accessible about home cooking because it doesn't feel like it's shrouded in shame at all. Whole communities, I think, are being built on it. And I know that the sharing of food on Instagram people have been speaking about in isolation as some sort of like performative action about my isolation is better than yours and la la la. And I'm probably going to rip into this point because I keep sharing food on Instagram in isolation. So I probably (laughs) have had too much buy-in when it comes to this argument. But I do think the sharing of food on Instagram has transcended like elitist foodie culture to people sharing stuff that they're genuinely proud of. Like I just don't find food photos particularly boastful. I think, as I already said, communities are being built off home cooking Instagram accounts and it's starting conversations. I uploaded some food photos and also my food sucks and I'll get a million messages being like, can I have the recipe? How did you cook this? How did it turn out? And I think it's a beautifully mindful way for people to be spending their time. I absolutely agree. When sport and the arts are taken away from us, what do we have left to connect? And I think good food is one of the very few things that the average person finds great joy in. I think that collective spirit that comes about when we all find a really great recipe that the average person, like the dumplings recipe, that the average person can recreate and feel like they're special and feel like they're proud of it. Why wouldn't we do that? I think it's really beautiful. I've also noticed that Hamish Blake did an Instagram live with Ben Shuri. He's the head chef at Attica in Melbourne. It's one of the top restaurants in the world. And I watched that entire Instagram live. Like it went for over an hour and I was there enjoying every bit of it. I didn't even cook any of the foods that they were making. They made a main meal and a dessert from memory. I just watched the entire thing and really enjoyed it. Like I really revel in the expert making it and then the guy at home just giving it a go. And I think lots of us have the time and the energy right now just to give it a go and try. Yeah, well, it made me think, since when did Ben Shuri become the people's chef? Like the Attica chef suddenly becoming the chef of the people. Like this is a real weird 2020. But there was a really good quote in this Atlantic piece that I wanted to finish on, Mish, that said, rather than treating cooking as an inscrutable science understood only by the upper echelons of the culinary world, chefs are fostering direct connections with their audiences. And I think that's the thing I've loved the most about this period is the connection between chef and, shall I call them, chef E or whoever it is, you or I, the layman, who are making this stuff. It is all about community. And for that, I really love it. We're like beta chefs. We're not alpha chefs. We're beta chefs. We're sous chefs, but not even. (laughs) (laughs) We do want to see if you have been making something, actually pop it up in your Instagram stories. If you're even cooking while you're listening to this podcast right now, show us what you're cooking. This is such a good time to find new recipes. We would also love to hear your best recipes if you've got any recommendations. I'm always looking for stuff to make that I haven't made before now. And we will put the links, of course, to Jess Nguyen in our show notes if you want to check out her stuff as well, because I swear to God, it's bloody good. Like I really enjoy making those recipes. Oh, me too. I'm having the best time and it's even better when they look and taste good because suddenly you feel like a far better chef than you are. But for now, Michelle, I think that might be all we have time for. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time listening to Shameless Welcome, it is Zara and I who jump on the mics every week. It is also our beloved producer, Annabelle, who edits the show and brings it to you in your podcast feed. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you think we deserve it, we would love a five-star review. Or if you're listening on another podcast app, just click follow or subscribe or whatever option they give you. It helps us out in the charts and it helps new people find us, which means we can keep creating content for free, Zara. 
Laura. Exactly. And we love doing that. We are also on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and we'll be back in your ears on Thursday with another In Isolation. Bye. Bye, guys. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.